Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Accepting a Tony for Hamilton, American composer, lyricist, playwright, and actor, Lin-Manuel Miranda said, and love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love. Love is a spiritual practice. Craig Coogan, executive director of the Boston Gay Men's Chorus, was standing in the lobby of Jordan Hall with ebullient audience members streaming past him after the final holiday concert when a white-haired woman dressed in a stylish coat and hat approached him, touching his arm with one leather-gloved hand. She said, excuse me, but you look important. After two solid weeks of late nights, exhausted is what Craig was, but he gave her his full attention, ready to field a complaint. This was all rather extraordinary for me, she said. And she told him her story. I was here this afternoon for Handel and Haydn, of course. That was wonderful, as always, just wonderful. When it ended, I was gathering myself to leave, and, well, I don't move as quickly as I used to. Actually, I move rather slowly, and it took me a long time, such a long time, to get into my outerwear and gather up my purse and my cane that the hall was empty by the time I was finally ready to leave. And then these nice young men came in and started setting up all these stairs, changing the stage and making it all look rather dramatic. And I called out, excuse me, young men, but what's happening here? And one of them... He was very handsome. Walked down the aisle to greet me and explained that the Boston Gay Men's Chorus was going to perform here this evening. Imagine that, a Boston Gay Men's Chorus, I said to him. And before he could say another thing, I said, well, I'd like to stay and hear your concert. May I purchase a ticket? And he gave me his arm and we walked to the box office in the lobby. I'm afraid I walk very slowly, but he was extremely patient. And did I say he was very handsome? <laughs> and I bought an excellent seat and that's how I found myself spending the day at Jordan Hall and having one of the best days of my life. Craig told her how happy he was that she had enjoyed the concert. Oh, I enjoyed it, she said, but it's so much more than that. This concert has changed my life. Craig, suddenly feeling less tired, was all ears. Well, she said, after this concert, I feel that I can finally understand a little of what my mother's life was like after she became a man. And suddenly, I feel that I've had a marvelous view into my son's life. My son is gay. And this was, well, shall I say, a gay evening indeed. 
I can't wait to call him and tell him about it. You haven't seen the last of me. I'll be at your next concert, and I'm bringing family and friends. And love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love. Author Stella Blackman writes, last month I came across a New York moment I'll never forget. Just after sunset, I was walking along the Brooklyn Promenade when I spotted a couple having a candlelit picnic. They were seated in blue lawn chairs, pulled up to a fold-out table. One had just finished telling a joke, and they threw back their heads in laughter. Weeks later, I saw the pair in the same location, introduced myself to Jane and Terry, and asked about their picnic tradition. They've been at it for 24 years, ever since they moved to Brooklyn. They spent every sunset outside by the water. It started with bringing some wine, and it's evolved to the point that their number one picnic staple is a good cheese knife, followed closely by candles. Stella asked them if they have their favorite dinner conversations. Jane responds, I remember being in my early 20s, observing older couples, wondering, what do these people talk about? Don't they run out of things to discuss? What I didn't realize was that the longer you're together, the more you have to talk about. You have more friends in common, more experiences. You have these stories about your lives, these stories about other people's lives. And then Stella asked the really important question, what's the key to a good marriage? Terry answers, for us, it's just connecting again at the end of the day, sitting down without distractions. Jane adds, it's not that we don't annoy each other. I wouldn't help pack all this if I were mad. But we've learned over the years how to talk things through. The thing is, it's just easier to be in a good mood. And be generous to one another. Apologize often. Terry chimes in again. When we're spending time together, our slogan is to have as much fun as possible. Also, Jane adds, it's important to remember that each partner is responsible for their own happiness. You can't rely on the other one to always entertain you. And love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love. Late last month, Reverend Joe and I had the opportunity to spend some time singing and learning music from Issei, Maria Barnwell, perhaps best known as the bass who anchored the storied a cappella ensemble, Sweet Honey in the Rock. Of the many stories Issei shared with us, one stood out for me. A few years ago, she says, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And every two weeks, she got a phone call from her almost 90-year-old Jamaican-American singer and social activist friend, Harry Belafonte. Harry, she told us, never concluded the call without asking her, what can I do to support you right now? And that, she says, got me through. And love is love, 
is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love. Somehow I miss that National Public Radio's Lulu Garcia Navarro is doing a mixed connections, missed connections program, trying to reunite people who connected with someone but never saw them again. 50 years ago, when she was 12 years old, Linda Walker was attending Girl Scout camp in the mountains of North Carolina. A huge rainstorm blew in, and suddenly a bolt of lightning struck with a huge crackle and boom. The campers all took off running. Linda, who had been standing on her metal cot, closing the tent flaps, fell to the floor. She says, but as Girl Scouts, you always keep up with your buddy. You never lose track of your buddy. My buddy ran out of the tent without me, but realized I wasn't with her and came back. She ran and got a counselor. They gave me artificial respiration. They rushed me off to the hospital. I was clinically dead. My life as a mother, a teacher, a grandmother are all attributed to my buddy coming back and getting me. Unfortunately, I don't remember who saved my life. I didn't recall her name, and I've always regretted that. Linda Walker brought this story to NPR. Researcher Sophia Schmidt reached out to Camp Pisgah, to local librarians to search through old news coverage, to women who had been there in the summer of 1967. One of the local Girl Scout councils posted the story on their social media feed and Facebook turned up the long-ago hero. Her name is Lori Luna. Lulu surprised Linda by bringing Lori onto the show. She re-met her buddy over the radio. Lori picked up the story, filling in the blanks for Linda. Well, I did run out of the tent with the two other gals, and we thought you were right behind us, and then turned, and obviously you weren't, and I tried to rouse you. I went back, I tried to rouse you, but it was obvious that it was very badly wrong. I couldn't, you know. Linda says, well, I still have a scar from where a metal zipper welded to my hip, and my heart sack had been burned, and there was some damage to my ears. I still have a little bit of a problem hearing. Counselors had brought Lori to the hospital to visit Linda, but Linda wasn't fully conscious. Lori says it was disturbing and scary. That was the last time I saw her. I've thought a lot about Linda over the years because I didn't know whether she'd survived. Linda continues, I taught eighth grade for 30 years. And each year, I would tell my story, reminding my students how important your buddy can be. And the kids always said, well, did you ever thank her? And I said, no. And they said, well, you should. You should. And now, I want to send a huge, huge thank you to, to you, Lori, and, and a hug, because I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't had a buddy who came back. And love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love. Beloved spiritual companions, our lives are the stories of intersections with family and friends, strangers and lovers. Love 
is a spiritual practice. In honor of St. Valentine, may we offer a stranger an arm. It might just change her life. May we picnic at sunset and light candles, connect undistracted, talk things through, be generous to one another, apologize often, have as much fun as possible, and take responsibility for our own happiness. May we ask one another, what can I do to support you right now? May we never lose track of our body. And love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, is love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website. ASCBoston.org.